0: Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53. This is a rich, rich chapter. This is maybe the most famous chapter uh, in the book of Isaiah for uh, Christians. And uh, this will be our third and I believe our final week in the chapter. And so I'm not in any hurry. We've been working through the book of Isaiah for almost two years now, but there are 66 chapters to it. And I just want to make sure that we're very careful to uh, go as deep as we need to go and uh, not feel rushed. We're on no we're on no timetable here with going verse by verse through the Bible. The important thing is that we understand what we're covering and what we're reading. All right, let's stand for the reading of God's Word tonight, if you're able to do that. Isaiah chapter number 53. And uh, let's begin in verse number 10, and we'll read down through verse number 12. That will be where we'll be. That will be our focus this evening is those three verses. The Bible says, "...yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him." Speaking of the Messiah, "...he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul." "...and shall be satisfied by the knowledge, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors." Again, the title of the Bible study is The Finished Work of the Messiah. And I have said this the last two weeks. I'll say it again here. Uh, The Jewish uh, state would push back on Isaiah 53 being a messianic psalm. They would say that this is about generic Israeli struggle. But they did not believe that or feel that way until they rejected Jesus to be their Messiah. In fact, when Philip climbed up into the, uh, uh, the, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, into his chariot, uh, this is exactly what he was reading, we find in the book of Acts, and uh, he had no problem, Philip had no problem telling him that that was a prophecy of Jesus and his death on the cross, and so We have looked in great detail at this so far. We're going to finish up our Bible study tonight. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll quickly recap and then we'll finish out the chapter. God, thank you for the Bible. Thank you that it is a book that has stood the test of time for so many years. All of the prophecies that have needed to come true to this point have. Lord, hundreds and even thousands of them. There are still yet many prophecies that are going to unfold, I believe, very soon And Lord, we're thankful that we have a perfect book. We have a perfect book that teaches us truth. So God, tonight, would you teach us from your word, spirit of truth, we ask that you guide us into all truth. And Lord, may we leave here tonight more equipped, uh, Lord, to go forth and be the servants that you've called us to be. Help us, Lord, to be sharpened tonight because of the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. But we know that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So we need the Word of God put in us as much as possible. Uh, On Sunday morning, um, the preaching style is meant to help babes in Christ. I try to give something to everyone, no matter how long you've been saved. But Sunday morning is more aimed at babes in Christ. Sunday evening is more of a preaching service. Wednesday evening is meant to be an in-depth Bible study. So keep those Bibles open. We're going to be turning... And looking at a lot of passages. Let's quickly review the material we've covered at this point with very little commentary. And then we'll look at uh, letter C under point 2 and then point number 3. Alright, number 1, first we looked at the rejection of the Messiah. Look with me at verse 1. It says, "...who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant." And as a root out of a notice that dry ground, Israel was spiritually dry when Jesus came. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. We looked at Psalm twenty-two six, where uh, Jesus is declared, or the Messiah is declared to be like a worm. He's, his um, we saw letter A. His humble coming, his humble coming, his announcement to the shepherds, and. The wise men came with a star in the east. The religious sect ignored the star. We saw, letter B, his hideous countenance. Uh, Again, verse 2 says that there is no beauty that we should desire him. We saw his visage marred. Even the end of uh, Isaiah 52 talks about the, verse 14 says, as many were astonished at the His visage was so marred, we know that stripes were laid on his back, First Peter tells us, and is laid out in the Gospels, that stripes were laid on his back, and a crown was mashed into his skull, and Uh, We know that he suffered the beating that made him undesirable to be looked at. And then we saw out of verse 3, we saw the hostile culture. Look at verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, despised. And we esteemed him not. We said they rejected him because they valued wealth, they valued social prestige, they valued reputation, and they valued being served by others. Speaking of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, and Jesus rather valued a humble, homeless life. He valued, uh, he did not value social prestige. He was surrounded by publicans and sinners. He made himself. Philippians 3 tells us or Philippians 2 rather tells us of no reputation and they valued reputation instead of being served by others he washed feet he served tables he said the greatest among you shall be the servant of all the rejection of the messiah they were looking for a conquering king coming on coming in on a stallion rather he was a suffering servant coming in on the back of a donkey number 2 we saw the redemption of the Messiah, the redemption of the Messiah. We talked about letter A. We talked about our sin. Look at verse number four. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Notice the emphasis on our griefs and our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all we took quite a bit of time and looked at how that mankind is not born good and then corrupted by the world rather we did an extensive bible study from genesis forward showing how that mankind is born into a sin nature born with a sin nature born contaminated by sin based on adam and eve's choice in the garden of eden and we're born under a condemnation we're born in sin again romans five twelve says, "Wherefore, as by one man speaking of Adam 's sin, entered into the world, and death by sin, so death." passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And herein our sin creates a problem because where there is sin, there is a divide from God because God is all moral and all right and all just and we are born corrupt. We're born in sin. We're born under a condemnation and God cannot allow, a, 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 a holy God cannot allow an unholy creation in His presence to live forever with Him. And I have explained this very simply to children. I will say to them, say you're outside playing in the yard after it rains, and you fall in a mud puddle, and you get mud all over your shirt there, and you go inside, and it's time to change, and you take off that shirt dripping in mud and covered in dirt. Does that dirty shirt belong in that clean shirt drawer? And you know what? I have yet to have a child say to me, yeah, that's exactly where that shirt belongs and people think that you know what i'm mostly good i've done some things wrong in my life but i'm mostly good listen you have fallen into the mud pit of sin and god cannot allow your dirty sin-stained heart into his perfect and holy heaven because that's just not where it belongs in fact god not only uh, has a problem with your sin the bible tells us that god hates sin. And if you die with your sin, then you will have to suffer in eternity separated from God in hell. So we saw our sin, but then we moved to letter B and we looked at our, or rather his suffering, his suffering. We talked about how that he was wounded. He was wounded. Look back with me uh, here, not to reteach last week's Bible study, but real quick, we see in these verses that he was Wounded, and that word "wounded" means pierced through. Psalm twenty-two sixteen talks about him being pierced. Luke twenty-four. 39 and 40 talks about His hands and feet being pierced. Zechariah 12.10 talks about the prophecy of when Jesus comes back for the battle of Megiddo and sets the Jews free, how they will look on Him whom they have pierced. Uh, John 19.31-37 through 37 lays out for us how that His side was pierced. And um, we see not only He was wounded here in this passage, but that He would be bruised. That word bruised means crushed, under the weight of a burden. What was that weight that crushed our Savior? It was our sin that crushed the Savior. Uh, Psalm thirty-eight four talks about that burden. Mark 14.36, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane asking the Father to not let Him have the drink of the cup, but then He says, Yet not My will, but Thy will, Father, be done. And then uh, we read 2 Corinthians 5.21 where it says, For He, speaking of God, God the Father hath made him uh Jesus Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin, so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The rose of Sharon was crushed on the cross by our sin. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And then Isaiah 53 continues and says that He was chastised. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. That word "chastised" talks about the many stripes that he endured. We looked at 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24 that talks about how he endured our stripes. The Bible also says here in Isaiah 53, yet he opened not his mouth. We saw uh, in Matthew 26, 62 and 63, how he stood before Caiaphas and opened not his mouth. And, and then in uh, Matthew 27, 12, how he stood in front of the chief priests and elders, and the Bible says he opened not his mouth. And then how he stood before Pilate in verse 14 of the same chapter, and he opened not his mouth. And then in front of Herod Antipas in Luke 23, 9, and he opened not his mouth. And then while the soldiers beat him, First Peter 2:21 and 23 tells us that he opened not his mouth. We see back in Isaiah 53 that he was like a lamb, to the slaughter. Exodus twelve talks about the Passover lamb being without spot or blemish, and how that the blood was shed, and the blood was to be applied to the doorposts. And then we looked at John chapter one verse twenty nine, how John the Baptist declared, "Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world." And then we turned to Revelation five six, and we saw how that all of heaven will declare uh, that Jesus is the Lamb of God slain before. The foundation of the ages, we saw how that He made His grave with the wicked. He was hung between two malefactors or two thieves and died there. And we also saw out of Isaiah 53 how that Jesus made His grave with the rich. We saw how, and this is where we finished last week, we saw how that Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man who owned a tomb right next to Calvary, took his body and prepared it and then placed Him in His own tomb as a rich man. And so we see His suffering. Listen, if you read Isaiah 53, and then you look at all these cross-references, you're left to come to one conclusion. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He suffered for our sins. He died in our place. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Let's look at letter C. Let's look at... Our substitute, our substitute. Why did he die? Well, he died for us. Look at verse number four of Isaiah 53, and let's look at this, and we'll look at some cross references here. Verse four Surely he hath borne our griefs, our substitute, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, the substitute. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. Look down at verse number 7. He was oppressed, He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He has brought His lamb to the slaughter, and as the sheep before her shears is dumb, so He opened not His mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare His generation? For He was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgressions of My people. Was he stricken? We see that he became our substitute. Take your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. Boy, I rushed you through points 1 and 2, and if you feel like your head is spinning because you weren't here the last two weeks, let me encourage you to go back on our Facebook or YouTube channel, and we walk, slow, slowly walked through each of those points and read each passage and took the time to, to explain it. And so if you feel like your head is spinning, please go back and, uh, and, and get that. 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse number 24. I'm in 2 Peter 2, 24. Even the pastor makes that mistake sometimes. Alright, look at verse 24. It says here, um, Who his own self bear our sins and his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, you know what that means. That means that in our sin we were dead; we were separated from God. Our sin had us separated from God. Look here. Look at the rest of the verse. Who uh, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. By whose stripes ye are healed. How are we healed? We're healed through the stripes and the blood that shed. From those stripes. He bore our sins on that tree. I want to be very clear on this. I I take this to be very literal. God looked ahead in time and He saw each of our lives. Let me be a little more specific. God looked ahead in time and He saw me and you. He saw your birth date. He saw your death date. And He collected every time that you would transgress His moral law. He collected all of those acts together, and then he went back and he laid those on Jesus. And a perfect God who knew no sin became my sin and became your sin. Now think about that in its totality. There are 8 billion people, they tell us, living on the planet right now. And there's probably been something like 12 to 14 billion people uh, to live since Jesus died on the cross. And uh, who knows the total of a human that have been born since Adam and Eve. But we know it's in the billions of people. And all of those people committed a grave amount of sins. And the Lord became each one of those sins on the tree so that we could be atoned. How do you kill a God who is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient? How do you kill a God who is infinite and all-powerful? You turn Him into the sins of the world, and in three short hours it snuffed out His life. He who knew no sin became sin, so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Turn over to 1 John chapter 2. You're in 1 Peter just a couple of pages to the right there. First John chapter number 2 and verse number 2. Now back in Isaiah 53, that is an Israeli passage written to the Jews. But here John is going to expand it beyond the Jews and to the Gentiles. Look at verse 2. And He is the propitiation of our sins. In fact, back up to verse 1. My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. That word Christ is the same word as Messiah. Jesus, Messiah, the righteous. Now, verse 2. And He, speaking of Jesus, that's the antecedent, is the propitiation for our sins. Now, what does that word propitiation mean? That word propitiation means substitute. He is the substitute for our sins. Look at what the rest of the verse says. And not for our sins only. John was a Jew. He says not only for the Jews, but also for the sins of the whole world. That word whole, that word world means mankind. That word whole means all of mankind. There's no Dancing around that. That's what that means. Who did Jesus die for? Who did Jesus become the substitute for? He became the substitute for the whole world. Uh, turn over, or look down rather at verse number 4. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Look down at verse 10. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling uh, in him. Um, Let's see, turn over to John chapter 3 and verse 15. John chapter 3 and verse 15, and again, um, I put this Bible study together three weeks ago, and uh, these verses, um, when I put this together, were just the culmination of my long-term study on the topic of propitiation, substitution, the substitutionary death of our Savior. Look at John 3, look at verse number 15, look here. That whosoever, that's the invitation, it's for the whosoever's of the world, believeth on in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. John explains in 1 John 2, verse 2, that he was our propitiation. He was our substitute. In fact, verse 14 of John 3 explains that just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and there was an open invitation of the Jews to look and live, uh, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus was lifted up for the purpose of us sinners looking to the cross so that we could be saved, we could live, have eternal life. Verse number 16 tells us about the substitutionary death of Jesus, how that God the Father sent God the Son down to become the propitiation for our sins. And all you have to do is believe. And by believing, you'll not perish, but have everlasting life. Look at verse 17. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but He that believeth not is condemned already because He hath not believed in in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Uh, why did Jesus come bear our griefs and uh, our transgressions? And why was He bruised for our iniquities? Why was our transgressions uh, and our sin laid upon Him? Because He was our substitute on the cross. You see, sin carries with it the penalty of death. I didn't plan on doing this tonight, but let me take you over to Romans. Turn over to Romans chapter number 6 and verse number 23 And I'm speaking to a crowd who is very educated on the Bible, and so you've probably seen this before, but boy, it just fits too well here to not say this. Romans 6.23. Those of you watching live stream at home, I don't know that you'll have this verse on your screen because I'm I'm throwing this in here uh, last minute. Look at Romans 6.23. Let's read the first half of that verse together. Can we do that? Are you there? Everybody there? Here we go. Ready? For the wages of sin is death. Now, we know that word wage means penalty or price or paycheck. Okay? That's the price. The price of transgressing the law. The price of breaking God's law is what? It's death. Look at Romans chapter 5. And look at verse number 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. What is the price of sin? It's death. What did Christ do for us? He died. You see that? You see the substitute? You see how He stepped up and He took our punishment? Look at verse 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man. uh, uh, Some would dare, even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us, In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ, much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Look down at verse 12, wherefore is by one man sin entered in the world and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Look down at 17, for by one man's offense, speaking of Adam, death reigned by one, much more they which received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ therefore is by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men all men unto justification of life the gift is available to all who will simply believe for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous uh, uh, Jesus the second Adam stepped in and suffered Suffered on our behalf. Oh, what love divine that God would send His Son to die on the tree in our place when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gains I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. See from His head, His hands, His feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich? A crown. Thank you Jesus for shedding your blood on Calvary. Thank you Jesus for dying in my place. Thank you Jesus for suffering the penalty of my sin. Thank you Jesus for going to hell on the cross so I could have the gift of eternal life. Our substitute. Number one, we see the rejection of the Messiah. Number two, we see uh, the redemption of the Messiah. Number three, we see the resurrection of the Messiah. Now, when I sat down to look at Isaiah 53, I pretty well knew what verse 1 down through verse 9 meant. I had looked at that and studied that in great depth before, but I did not know the resurrection of the Messiah could be found right here in Isaiah 53. And as I dove into the words and really began to cross-reference and study, boy, my eyes became opened to a very incredible thing here. Let's go through this quickly. We only have about ten minutes here. Notice letter A. His days prolonged. Look at Isaiah 53. And look at verse number 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall... Look here... Prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. His days prolong. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 1 with me, and verse number 19, Ephesians chapter 1. Again, the New Testament, I said this last week, but the New Testament is the completion of the Old Testament, and we don't just say that because it's convenient to say. We say that because Jesus said that. He said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law and the prophets, but I have come to fulfill. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. I have said for years that the New Testament is the slide projector and the Old Testament are the slides. We understand the Old Testament through our paradigm of the New Testament. And so we we read a passage in Isaiah 53 that is prophetic, and then we turn to the New Testament and see that prophecy fulfilled and the teaching of what that prophecy means. Look at Ephesians 1 with me and look at verse number 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, when he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, uh, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that. Uh, filleth all in all. His days prolong. Jesus, my friend, did not stay dead. Understand that in His death, He paid the price for your sin. But a dead Messiah can't save anybody. He didn't stay dead. Right? He conquered sin on the cross. He conquered death when He rose from the grave. Three days later, he stood up. He conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave. He is life eternal. Remember in John 11 when Mary said to him, "I believe that one day you'll you'll live. I believe one day in the resurrection." He said, "Mary, John 11:25, I am the resurrection and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. His days prolonged." We see the resurrection of Jesus, and I like to throw this is the third week in a row, I like to throw a little Bible nugget out here, a little Bible study for you to do on your own. This is a neat one to do. Study who raised Jesus from the dead. All right? We know that there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Which one of those raised Jesus from the dead? I'll let you do that one on your own. That's a really, really fun Bible study to have. Letter B, we see his seed seed. Promised, his seed promised. Go back to Isaiah 53, verse 10. It says, When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. His seed promised. Now here's a neat little Bible nugget. Turn back to Isaiah chapter 8 and verse number 18. Real quick. Isaiah 8 and verse number 18. The Bible says here, this is Isaiah speaking of his own family. And we're going to see how Isaiah speaking has a double meaning. All right, look here. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwelleth in Mount Zion. Now we know that Isaiah had a handful of children. One of them, I believe, was named Meher Shalahashbaz. If you're looking for a name to give your boy, I don't recommend that one. No one will know how to spell it. Amen? Meher Shalahashbaz. But he had a number of children. All of them, their, their names had meanings, and all of them had something to do with prophecy. And this is that's the context of Isaiah 8.18. And he says here, the Lord's given me children, and, and these are for signs and wonders. Now, that has a double meaning. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 2. Quickly, Hebrews chapter 2, and we see His seed promised. Now, we know that while Jesus walked the earth, He did not have any children. If you've seen the Da Vinci Code, throw that out the window. That's heresy, that's fallacy, that's blasphemy. Jesus had no children when He walked the earth, but yet He's been promised a seed. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, and look at verse 13. It says, And again, I will put my trust in Him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me... This is quoting of Isaiah 8.18. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that hath the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage, you say, "Well, who are the children prom- who are the uh, promised seed of, of, of the Messiah of Jesus? Well, it's all of those who He saves. it's all of those who are redeemed as a result of His resurrection. So we see his days prolonged. We see his seed promised. Lastly, notice his father, please. Go back to Isaiah 53 with me and look at verse number 10. Isaiah 53, look back at verse 10. He shall. His father, please. He shall, or yet, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his days. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord, and it, it says here. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. Turn over to John chapter 8 and verse 29. Jesus says here, He that sent me is with me, the Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please Him. You see here how the Bible says in Isaiah 53 that the Messiah would please the Lord, please the Father. Here Jesus said, I always do those things that please the Father. Look at Philippians chapter 2 verse number 5. Turn over to Philippians 2. And here's, I have three things written below His Father, please. You can jot these down. What we're looking at right now is it satisfied the heart of the Father. Jesus satisfied the heart of the Father. Look at Philippians 2, and we see that very thing take place after His death his suffering, uh, his burial, his resurrection, we find Jesus at the right hand of the Father in Philippians 2. Look at me at verse 5. It says there, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Here's that sacrifice, that propitiation, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, Look at how the heart of the Father is pleased that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to who? To the glory of God the Father. The Bible says it pleased Him. We see it that Jesus lived His life to satisfy the heart of the Father but notice also He lived His life to satisfy the law of the father turn over romans chapter 3 and verse 25 romans chapter 3 and listen this is why we give you the handout uh, with the verses on there so that you can go back and uh, you can study this out on your own uh, at a slower pace and uh, really absorb this in even further look at verse 25 Back, back up to 24 being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in the Messiah, in Christ Jesus. 25, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. And I just want to add, that you can take your Bible over to Matthew 5, verse 17 if you'd like. While I'm saying this, I'd like to say this. People say, How could a loving God send people to hell? And I'm going to tell you why that's a skewed question. It's a totally unfair question. Let me ask it this way. How could a just God let any of us into heaven? How come we don't ever hear the question framed that way? God hates sin. Why should He let any of us into heaven? How come we assume that some reason we deserve for God to let us into heaven? Oh, we're broken sinners. We don't deserve anything. You know what God is? He's a balance of law and grace. God the Father in the Old Testament is described as being a God of mercy and truth. Jesus Christ in the New Testament, John 1, is described as being a God of grace and and truth mercy is the dismissal of consequences grace is the reward of something that's unearned or unmerited god through jesus not only lets us out of hell but rather he gives us access and entrance into heaven what did jesus do when he hung on the cross he satisfied the law that we had broken so that we could be restored back to the father Look with me at Matthew chapter 5, and we see that Jesus ushers in this new covenant or new testament of grace. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. This is thick doctrinal stuff, but oh man, it makes me happy to look at it and study it. Think not, Jesus says, that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not coming to dismiss that stuff. I am not come to destroy the law or the prophets I am come to fulfill. And to read it exactly as it's written, I am not come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am come, I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. What did Jesus do? He fulfilled the law of the Father. Jesus absorbed the wrath of God on the cross and gave access to us to heaven. Now I'm running out of time, but if I could explain it this way uh here quickly. Imagine that God is here and Adam is standing over here and they're facing each other in the Garden of Eden. And then Adam sins and does wrong and God in essence in his justice turns his back on Adam and says, You are condemned to death. I cannot associate you because now you have chosen sin and it's broken fellowship. That's what sin is. It's broken fellowship. And so what did Jesus do? He stepped between man and and the Father and He absorbed our wrath and so now God the Father can turn and He can look through Jesus who is declared to be our mediator, 1 Timothy, and He mediates for us. Now, what is it that God sees when He looks at a redeemed sinner who's had the blood laid on His account? God does not see our sin. Rather, He sees the law that was broken, satisfied in the sacrifice of Jesus. He looks through Jesus and He sees His righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5.21, laid on our account. And so Jesus has satisfied the law and has now made it possible for you and I to have peace with the Father again. Uh, We know that Jesus is a prophet a priest, and a king. When He came, He was a prophet. The second time He comes, He will be our King. Right now, Jesus is sitting where? At the right hand of the Father. And what is He doing? He is interceding. He is mediating on behalf of us. When we come into His throne room to pray, the Bible tells us that He is our intercessor. He is our mediator. He is our priest taking our needs to the Father. It is a sa- it's satisfied the law of the Father. But not only does, uh, do, did Jesus satisfy the heart of the Father and the law of the Father, but lastly, notice, grace is love that has paid a price. Let's finish in a very popular passage, Ephesians chapter number 2, and look at verse number 8. Uh, grace is love that has paid a price. Look at Ephesians 2, and we see the great... Grace of both the Father and the Son on our behalf. Look here, for by grace. Who provides the grace? Well, God does by sending Jesus to die in our place. By grace are ye saved. That's the end result. How? Through faith. And so we know that God's grace plus our faith... "...equals salvation." But that grace did not come free. It came at the great price laid out for us in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And that not of yourselves... Listen, you do nothing to save yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. You can do nothing to earn salvation. You can do nothing to get salvation. All that you can do uh, is not something you do. You place your faith. You extend your hand of faith and you receive the gift that was paid for. And here's where we want to finish. Look at verse 10. After that transaction takes place, verse 10, For we are, those who have believed, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Listen, you're in the process of sanctification. You have been saved. Then, my friend, the way you please the Father is by walking in His grace is by doing the work of which He's called you to do. If you're a husband or wife here tonight, God has called you to fulfill the role given to you in Ephesians chapter 5. If you're a parent here tonight the way I am, God has called you to raise those children up and as arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior, we fire out those children into the world to make an impact of light in a dark world. If you're here tonight and you're a church member, God has called you to make an impact here in this church, to make an impact here uh, to be a part of the body of Christ, using your gifts to better uh, the church, uh, what do we do? We take the work that God has given us, understand we are His workmen created in Christ Jesus, and we make the best of it. You show me a Christian who is walking in the grace of God, serving in the grace of God, I will show you a Christian who pleases the Father. Amen? The finished work of the Messiah. Oh, thank you Jesus for dying in our place and suffering so that we could have peace with the Father. Let's stand together if we can. And thank you for being here tonight. I hope the Bible study has been an encouragement to you. Boy, that was a fire hydrant type Bible study. There was a lot given out there in a short amount of time. I'd encourage you to take the back of that bulletin and um, uh, look those verses up for yourself. Do that study. That took me hours to put together. And so I hope that you'll take the time and really absorb that in. Amen. Well, a great crowd tonight. Many of you are here tonight that either have never been on a Wednesday night or it's been a long time, and we're glad you're here. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll go forth and serve our Savior this week. We hope to see you Saturday for Great Commission and then on Sunday. Lord God, thank you for the Bible. Thank you that it all is is held together by a scarlet thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation, and that scarlet thread being the blood that was promised and then shed on Calvary. Thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior. Thank you for the great work on the cross and the resurrection from the dead. Thank you that it was prophesied in great detail in Isaiah 53 and then fulfilled in the New Testament. Lord God, help us to go forth and be that workman, workman that workmanship. Help us to take on the work that you've given us and do it to your honor and glory. Lord, many in here are weary and tired. Many in here carry a heavy schedule. Many have many tasks in front of them in the days to come. Give them the strength they need to do it. May we lay our burdens at Your feet. May we embrace You and may we live for You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I hope you have a great week. God bless you. We hope to see you very soon.